Pastor John Lewis with us again. It's brilliant over the years. He's ministered into our church and into our region, and we appreciate him. He was, uh, John was the state our state president for quite a number of years and the vice president of the national and national movement, the ACC. It's, so it's always good to have him. His wife isn't with him this morning. She's arriving this afternoon, Val, but, uh, so she'll be here tonight. But uh, let's give, uh, how about we just uh, encourage him, welcome him this morning, give him a hand. Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, everybody. It's a delight to be back here in this part of the world. Thank you. Is that mine or yours? Thank you. Wonderful to be in your congregation. I love to worship this morning. Wasn't that good? Just so God-honoring and anointed. It's wonderful. I trust you uh, appreciate the quality of pastor that you have in Pastor James. He would be one of the nicest blokes. I can't imagine him getting upset. I got a brother-in-law like you, James. He makes me sick. He's just so nice all the time. What a wonderful couple. You know, James and Michelle love you, and they're doing a fantastic job here. And uh, looks a healthy church. You're in good condition. Now, this morning, I'm, I'm speaking a part of my sermon this morning and the rest tonight. I wrote a book called um, Forgive, Forget, and Fruitfulness from the Life of Joseph. And uh, I've had it for quite a while, but I thought I might preach on it, see what happens. Uh, it's a good message. I'll have books at the back there. They're normally selling for $230. <laughs> but they're $12.95 this morning, so how can you resist that? Hey? How can you resist it? But the reason I'm saying that is some of you may want to follow up some of the points, and I'll give more details in the, in the book itself. So um, if you would like to, they'll be at the back there and you can help yourself. My wife is coming today. She had to go down and get a bronchoscopy. That's, you know, where they drain your lungs. But she'll be good and fighting fit this afternoon, ready to uh, take up. She's been, we've been travelling around the state. We started off at St George and went right up to the top, to Normanton, right across to Atherton, up to Cooktown, uh, right down to Cairns, Townsville, we've been inland, went around there, went to your district yesterday. This man's killing me. He had me on twice today. He's got me preaching three times today. Something on tomorrow, something on. He thinks I'm going to backslide, so he's not giving me any chance. <laughs> Just working me to death. Thank you, Pastor. That's okay. <laughs> so my subject this morning is going to be forgive, forget, and fruitfulness. Because many of you won't be here tonight... I'm going to leave the forgive, I'm going to leave the forget and fruitfulness tonight. Joseph had two sons. One was called Ephraim, the other one was Manasseh. He called the first son Ephraim because he said, the Lord has made me, the Lord has caused me to forget the hurts of my father's household. How many of you know there would be people here that could relate to the hurts you've had growing up? The Lord has enabled me to forget the hurts and then the Lord has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. I am of the opinion that nothing happens in our life accidentally and nothing happens that God cannot take advantage of. And I'd like to suggest you, if I tell you too much, you won't come out tonight. But I'd like to tell you this, that I reckon that every one of us, the experiences we go through can become fruitful in assisting us in, in helping other people going through difficult times. So if you would uh, make an effort to be out tonight, I'm sure it'll be a blessing to you. The powerful trilogy of Forgive, Forget and Fruitful is an important factor because 
everybody in this church this day has been offended in some way. And I'll give you a scripture in a few moments. Everyone. So I'm so confident that forgiving people is a very important part of our lives. The first reason I wrote this book is a practical one based on the fact that life will have offences and overcoming those offences is essential for us all to be able to work through them. How many of you know you've got to deal with those offences? Um, there was a guy who was a Dr. Kreiger. He said this, that there were 2.7 million church members failed in activity because they'd been offended in the church. How many of you know that's pretty serious yeah. when that happens? People leave the church. David Husky, this is a very important statistic. This is a researcher. He estimated in his research 66% of Christians leave the church because they're offended. That's a high percentage. But here's the sad thing. How many of you know if you're offended and you leave your church, you go to the church with your offence? And the sad thing is you will sit there and if it's not dealt with, you will be anticipating any minute what's happened back there is going to happen here again. And so the poor pastor for a number of months at least, you're going to watch him, listen to him, make sure it's all right. But how many of you reckon if we're going to get offended, we better fix it up? Come on. We better fix yeah. it up. And here is the simple message. God's antidote to offence is forgiveness. <clears throat> the second reason for this book is that uh, it's a theological truth that Jesus taught forgiveness is a part of the kingdom of God. How many of you know that's the currency of the kingdom that we learn to forgive? It's a part of our doctrine and we believe it. There's an ethicist called Michael Jofferson and he's a lawyer and a professor. He's a very a famous consultant in America and he said this and I quote, Whatever your religious views, psychologists say the ability to forgive is closely related to happiness. The implication being there, how many of you know if you don't deal with some of those offences, it just cools your happiness down. Just puts a bit of a lid on you to being able to enjoy life and what it's all about. Additional to forgiveness is forgetfulness and the fruitfulness that I've mentioned here before. Life has many and varied hurts of offences. Many of you would know the name C.S. Lewis, and with a name like that, you would want to sit up and listen. <laughs> he said this, Experience that most brutal of teachers, but you learn. Oh, God, you learn. Isn't that the truth? Life has experiences, and we learn so much through those experiences of life. And I'm aware of the well-meaning but sometimes crude response that people have when you get hurt, like suck it up, get over it. How many of you know that doesn't help you one little bit? If you've been deeply offended, those words just go right over your head. Suck it up, it'll be all right, blah, blah, blah. How many of you reckon we've got to be a better way? There's got to be a more biblical way than suck it up and get over it. My Bible and um, research and life experience, and as you can see, this is body and this face has been around a long time, and for those who don't recognise me, you remember me, this is I, it is I, be not afraid, this is I. <laughs> but I've noticed that there's a fact that, um, uh, you know, life can appear to be unfair, confusing and cruel, and how many of you know bad things can happen to good people? 
I could stay here all morning rattling them off and you could help me with all the people you know. But how many of you know that's a fact of life? Bad things can happen to good people. I'd love to be one of those hyper people that think, think life's a bowl of cherries. Nothing can ever go wrong. You're now you're Christian. You're in this bowl of, a, of a protection that you live above the earth. How many of you know that's not how life is for us? If you've been around for a while, you find that your children can go bad. Mm. But the great news I have for you is that God can turn your past negatives into a positive future. There's powerful biblical truths that strength can emerge out of our weaknesses, that hope can break through the barriers of hopelessness, and that tragedy can turn to triumph. How many of you know this is the Bible, 1 Peter 5.10? And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. What a wonderful scripture that is. I would get you to write it down on the neck of someone in front of you, but it's a bit long to remember. But how many of you know this one? All things work together for good to them that love God. Let's have a vote on this. How many of you would say, most things work together for good? How many would say, some things work together for good? How many of us have this deep, deep conviction, all things can work together for good? Now, there's hands going up here and there'll be a lot of hands that are putting up and you go, mate, I've had some pretty tough times and it's been hurtful and I've been offended, but this I do know, God is able to bring all things together for good because that's the sort of God that we have served. Facing the facts, offences will come. Well, this gets really negative now. Face the facts, negatives. That's life. I uh, thought I'd better give you a definition of what I mean by offences. The act of creating resentful, hurtful feelings and displeasure. The condition of being offended, especially of feelings hurt or resentful or anger. That's the Webster Dictionary. That's pretty pathetic. I got on the web. I'm a brilliant man on that web, mate. I'm a genius. Once I can learn how to turn it on, off I go. It's terrific. The Free Dictionary has a great definition. A violation or infraction of a moral or social code a transgression of sin. How many of you know that is more in line? I'm not just talking about light offences, and I'll give you a little definition of the range of offences. Listen, offences can be simple perceptions as being misunderstood. I had a lady in my church come up to me one day, James, and she said, I forgive you, Pastor. And I went, what for? What have I done? You just walked straight past me last Sunday morning. I used to walk straight past everybody because I'd go to the back of the church and shake hands. And she said, I was really offended. I said, oh, please forgive me. How many of you know, I didn't even know. I don't think, anyway, how many of you know, people get offended at anything. People get so offended about nothing at all. But here we go. Some rangers misunderstand, undervalued, overlooked, or being insulted, imposed upon, unfairly treated, Deep, ongoing or unresolved conflicts to be lied about. How many of you reckon that's a bad one? To be a target of innuendos or character assassinations. I don't know how that Donald Trump sleeps at night. If I was to open the paper over there and I was Donald, I reckon I'd, I'd want to get out of this planet. How many of you know he would have a few little negative thoughts about himself, wouldn't he? People say things, of course, he knows it's fake news. He calls it fake news all the time. 
But how many of you know bullying, verbal or cyber? Every young person here can be subject to bullying of some sort. And how many of you know we've, uh, we've learned from experience that that can actually lead to suicide? They can get so traumatised by people saying things. The power of life and death is in the tongue. How many of you know when we come to this house, we ought to be giving life to each other? Isn't that the truth? And then we have the physical levels of, of those people that are involved in offences emotionally or sexual abuse, domestic violence, cruelty, torture, even death. One of the most common um, concerns about offences is that we need to recognise it has to be seen that it's not just outside the church. Offences like this can happen in the church as well. Jesus warned us of the inevitability of offences. In Luke chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, he said this to his disciples. It is impossible that no offence should come. Did you get that one? This is Jesus, his own words in the New King James. It is impossible that no offences should come, but woe to him through whom they come. And then it said it would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than to offend some of these little ones. Now, paraphrasing what Jesus is saying there, if you've never been offended or wounded or hurt, I'd suggest one, you are an incredibly tough person. Two, you're unaware of what people are doing and saying to you. You're unaware of it. You're insulated from life or you're from another planet because Jesus said it's impossible. So I am absolutely confident that I can say I know everybody here has been offended in maybe a small or a very large degree, but we're all those people here today. We all understand what offense is. Now, it's interesting that one of the Greek words for impossible Jesus used there is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. So we need to get ready that we can't have a bulletproof life of offence, but how many of you know we can have a great solution to, to offence, and that, of course, is being able to forgive. The Greek word offence comes from a beginning called skandalia, from which we get the English word scandal. And in its roots, I won't go wasting too much time, but it means to catch in a trap or to snare. It means to cause of ruin or stumbling. Leon Morris, in his commentary, he says it's even more powerful. He says out, and I'm quoting, it goes beyond the idea of just stumbling from which we may recover and always denotes spiritual destruction. Now, please, please, please listen for a second. It is very possible you get hurt and you get over it and it doesn't affect you, you think. But he is saying it has an impact upon your spiritual progress. You may have had some offence and you think, oh, I don't worry about that anymore. But if you haven't resolved it by forgiving whoever has caused it, he is suggesting it affects you spiritually. I reckon we'd have a lot of people in our churches that need to go, I'm going to forgive that person. I'm going to relinquish them and let them get out of my life so that I can live a good, healthy life. Offences uh, in the church are a fact. David Husky, 66% will leave the church because of offences. I'm one of those people that actually believe that there's a sense in which we need to recognise offences will come, but you and I have to be people that overcome those. In my book, I will give you nine classifications of people that get hurt, but let's move on. Forgiveness and a path of hope. 
we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. That's from Martin Luther King Jr. I would like to suggest you it goes like this. Accept you will be disappointed but never lose hope in God providing a way for that offence to come out in your life. The good news is God provides a path of healing. When I was a young man, 1832 or 1834, (laughs) I was a youth pastor. And I was in a church in those days. They didn't pay you to be the youth pastor, you know. And um, I was around in the days of a guy by the name of Dave Wilkinson and and, uh, crossing the switchblade. Some of the more mature people would know that. And uh, David had an incredible impact upon the kids in New York, in the Bronx. He was touching their lives miraculously. So we started a coffee shop to reach the kids in the street. And we were pretty creative. We hired this church hall and we put fishing nets there and we burnt the, you know, the menus, burnt them all up. And, oh, gee, they were terrific. I thought it was great. Anyway, one night my pastor came into the coffee shop and I thought, he will be over the moon. All these kids from the streets and kids were getting saved and it was terrific. But he got up Sunday morning and this is how it went, James. Our people, our young people are copying copying the world. They're like spiders in spider webs. So I'm going, that must be the nets. That must be the nets. (laughs) They're like spiders in spider webs. And he went on and on and on. Now, I was about 24. I used to have red hair, a little bit toey. So after the meeting, I went to him and I said, I want to see you in your office. And when I got him in his office... I said to him, don't you ever use your pulpit to give me a blast. If you've got anything to say to me, tell me to my face. How about that, Brian? Tell me to my face. And then I slammed the door and walked out. Gee, I felt. We're in a church where Sunday nights we used to sing closing hymns that had 16,000 verses. Do you remember those hymns? (laughs) The reason they had so many verses, it gave you time time to come down the front. And I'm, I don't know what verse it was, and I hear the Holy Spirit say, go and apologize. Now, I'm a fairly intelligent person, and I said to the Holy Spirit, you've got to be joking. Like, I did the right thing. I went to him personally. He should come and apologize to me. He's the senior man. How many of you know the Holy Spirit didn't go, never thought of that, John? <laughs> What a good argument that is. What a good argument. How many of you know you don't talk God out of things that easily? Anyway, long story short, I eventually came down the front and and my pastor used to have older calls. He'd pray for people all night. I'm standing here. He's at the front and I'm standing here waiting. And eventually he came over. He's only a little man. And I said, oh, pastor, would you please forgive me? I was obnoxious the other day. And he gave me a kiss on the cheek. Now, I'm not into that. That's why I've grown a beard, boys, so don't try it. (laughs) He gave me a kiss on the cheek and listened to his prayer. This was a terrific prayer. It went like this. Dear God, he said, he praised his hand. He said, oh, dear God, I pray that you will send this man to the four corners of the earth to preach the gospel. (laughs) So what do you reckon I thought? He's trying to get rid of me. He's trying to get rid of me. That was Sunday. On Tuesday, he was in a head-on car accident. Went into a coma and never survived. Do you reckon I am so glad the Holy Spirit insisted that I get that right? But listen, I have preached in over 36 countries. 
And I haven't paid. People have invited me there. Only once. They only ever invite me once. But I went over 36 <laughs> countries. How many of you reckon that prophetic prayer had an impact on my life? On. So you can believe me when I tell you today that offences will come. Fix those offences up. Because God can use those offences to make you a more fruitful person that you ever imagined possible. It's a pathetic clap. I thought it deserved more than that. I didn't mind. Okay, let's establish another fact while I'm preaching. Don't clap, throw money, all right? Throw money. I was in David Sherman's church in England and I said that. And one bloke threw a, a 50p, you know, it's like our, he threw it and I went, clunk, <laughs> clunk. So I said, okay, here's the new rule, paper money only. <laughs> I walked out of there a millionaire. <laughs> Forgiveness is the first step to recovery. Forgiveness is one of the key currencies of the kingdom. Both Jesus and Joseph were willing to forgive those who had not sought forgiveness. I'm going to read you in a moment the story of Joseph forgiving his brothers. How many of you know Jesus on the cross, they never said, forgive us, Lord. He just prayed voluntarily a prayer over all those that had crucified him. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So I'd like to give you a whole list of great benefits for forgiveness. Are you ready? Quickly, if you're going to take these notes down, save you buying the book, or better still, buy the book and take the notes down. Forgiveness is the heart of the gospel. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. I love the songs that we, leave, we sing here constantly about the love of God, higher, greater, stronger. How many of you know he's made a provision for you and I to come into his kingdom and gives us forgiveness of our sins? Aren't you glad you don't have to pay penance? It's the grace of Jesus Christ. Secondly, forgiveness is God's ongoing cleansing. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. How many of you know we can walk in the light as he is in the light? That's what that's saying. Forgiveness can be a constant thing in our lives. Forgiveness is also a preventing of the devil's foothold in our life. In Ephesians 4.27, do not give the devil a foothold. And that's in the context of don't let the sun go down on your anger. How many of you know you can keep the enemy away by keeping forgiveness out? And of course, forgiveness prevents us from grieving the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 4, 30 and 32, forgiving. This is what he says, be kind, compassionate, forgiving as Christ also forgave us. Ladies and gentlemen, you couldn't have a church of this size without some of you being offended by somebody in this church. Probably the pastor, if I know this bloke. I mean, he'd be the most angry, vicious. How many of you know, most offences in church don't happen from the pulpit. Most happen in the church. And Paul writes to the church and he says, forgiving as Christ forgave us in God. So would you please note that if you've had a little bit of offence in someone, would you please notice how important it is. Jesus taught us to pray for forgiveness from our Heavenly Father and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus taught us there are multiple times that we forgive. Remember Peter came to Jesus and he wanted some sort of guideline on this crazy stuff called forgiveness, like how about seven times, Jesus? Remember, no, Peter, seven times 70. Now, I reckon that's about 490. 
How many of you know after 490 doesn't mean you don't have to forgive? Jesus was saying, hey, this isn't something you do once. This is something that's a part of your life. You keep your spirit clean. You keep your spirit free. How many of you know you don't want to grow up to be a grumpy old man or a grumpy old woman? You need to take initiatives to get rid of that forgiveness, that unforgiveness, and then you will know what it is to live in that life. In Colossians 3.12, it also says, and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I don't know whether you've ever understood the magnitude where Jesus said that you have to forgive as God forgives you, and he tells us to love one another as he has loved us. How many of you reckon the love of God is so unbelievably, incomprehensible, magnificent, and he says, love one another like I've loved you. Dear God, I need a I need a great extension of your love in my life to love like you love those that are around about me. Paul understand it was the oil of the church. And he said to the church there in Philippians 1, I'm telling him to go so fast. Verse 10, he says, live without offence till the day of Christ. Bear each other's burdens and forgive. Lewis B. Smythe said this, forgiveness is God's invention for coming to terms with a world in which despite their best intentions, people are unfair to each other and hurt each other deeply, he began by forgiving us and he invites us all to forgive others as well. Don't postpone forgiveness, church. You know, there's a reason why it says, if you bring your offering to the altar, remember you have offence in your brother, leave your gift and go and get it right. How many of you reckon it seems like the Lord wants us to live in a constant place of sensitivity that offences that we hold offend the Holy Spirit and we need to get rid of them? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So there's some lessons from Joseph of how to implement forgiveness. Did you realise that the book of Genesis has 14 chapters devoted to the life of Joseph? That's a huge chunk of the Bible because this man is a wonderful example for us to realise the power of forgiveness. An Italian psychiatrist and the founder of the psycho, uh, psychothenesis, Dr. Robert Azaguli, said this, without forgiveness, life is governed by endless cycles of resentment and retaliation. Without forgiveness, we do become grumpy people retaliating and angry about anything. I want to pray over you before we go, oh God, clean our spirit out. Come on. Clean our spirit out. Clean our lives out. Give us that ability to forgive people. Now here's Joseph facing his brothers. You don't mind if I read a bit of scripture to you? I know you love the Bible in this church. Genesis 45 verses 1 to 8. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants and he cried out, Hey everyone, leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard all about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Look at this, uh, what a wonderful thought here, James. I am Joseph. Is my father still living? How many of you know this guy had an incredible respect for his father? Is my father still living? But these brothers <coughs> were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. This is a hot shot of, of Egypt. And they're standing before him. They don't know what he's going to do. Then Joseph said to his brother, come close to me. 
And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Get his theology. Wasn't you that did this to me. God allowed you to do this because God had a bigger plan than your nonsense towards my life. I love that thought. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. I reckon I could prophesy with my eyes open that the offenses of your life are for a definite purpose of bringing deliverance to other people. You are a deliverer. Say, Say to someone next to you, you look like a deliverer to me. It says in verse 15, I love this one, it says, And Joseph kissed his brothers and wept. And Joseph saw that the evil intent used by God was ultimately for the good of what God had in his life. So can I just say this very quickly? You'll get the book if you're interested. I reckon there's a good process here of how to resolve those hurts. One, there is a grace empowerment required. How many of you know we could today, you could say, look, I know what you're saying about forgiveness, but mate, it's just a bit too tough. Draw upon the grace of God to enable you to be forgiving. Hey, and I'd like to ask you this, because some of you here may have such deep hurts. This is going so far above you, I don't want to hear anymore. Would you please just do this? Would you say to the Lord, Lord, I can't, but I'm willing. Come on. How many of you know, the moment you say, I am willing, there's a, there's a door opening in your life for God's grace to enable you to forget those horrible things that have happened in your life. So the empowering for grace. Make it private. I think it's a wonderful thing. He just got all his brothers, kicked the rest out of the room. He revealed himself. I think there has to be something of a transparency when you come to this area of forgiveness. He expects warmth and compassion and intimacy. I love these words in verse 4. He says, come close to me. How many of you know if there's going to be a a reconciliation, that's got to be your heart. You want to bring people close to you. He expressed God's purpose in his life. I love that one, that theology that God knew what he was doing. And his willingness to weep and embrace their renewed communication. His brothers start to talk to him. But how many of you love this? He restored the whole family. Friends, I'd like to suggest to you there could be members of your family that you've had a real deal with and you're unable to talk. And don't tell me that doesn't happen even in church circles, people you just don't talk to in your family. Could you ask that the Lord would give you the ability, the grace to forgive that person? It could be the beginning of a wholeness in the whole family. Because that's what I see here. It was the beginning of a reuniting of the whole of that family because this one man was willing to exercise the grace that God had given him his life. Bill and Ruth were a couple. It's not their name, so don't go to my church and chase up. Those that have been to my church, don't do it. Bill and Ruth were a couple that um, a bit younger than me. In fact, most people <laughs> a bit younger than me. But uh, they would now be in their 60s, and about 10 years ago, they were having real troubles and decided to split up and then decided to divorce. Neither of them got remarried, but after a few years of living separately, they all of a sudden decided they did love each other, and they should resolve their problems and get back together. 
And the words of Bill himself, he said these words to me. He said, this is the best thing I ever did, John, getting back with my wife, who I know I love. And I can tell you now, they're still incredibly happily in married in love. How many of you know, it's not the end. It's not always the finality. How many of you know God can do great restorational truths? The major turning point in Joseph's life was that he understood that God had something greater for him. Now, I reckon if I was Joseph, I'd have a few reasons to wonder if God was still with me. How many of you know all he did was tell his brothers he was going to be a leader one day and they hated him for that, sold him, got rid of him. Went and worked for Potiphar and Potiphar's wife um, thought he was a very attractive man and tried to seduce him and he was called up to be uh, falsely accused of raping her, went to jail, was forgotten in jail. How many of you reckon this is a pretty tough run? How many of you think you might look for another God if that happened to you? All those things accumulating there. But the life of Joseph is a lesson of God's sovereignty and God's faithfulness towards those who will live according to his word. I have the belief that the reason he was able to um, resist the Potiphar's wife's um, seduction, well, she might have been ugly one, but, but I think mainly he had the ability to say, God's given me a, a gifting. Yeah. I've got a leadership. I've got a vision of my future. How many of you know that'll keep you in temptation? Remember what God has given to you. So I am greatly encouraged by that, the fact that God says he will forgive you. Lewis Meads, I quoted before, said this, you will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who have hurt you and feel the power to wish them well. Lewis Meads might not be a Christian, but John Lewis said this, you know that forgiveness is working when you can pray for those who have offended you and you can genuinely pray that God will bless them. Just this week, just this week, it's fresh on my mind, I was talking to a pastor from interstate and he had a business in Queensland and his partner ripped him off and we're talking about what would be worth millions of dollars now and he said, every so often I start thinking where I would be financially if I still had that business and what an income I would have and all. How many of you know when you look back on some things that are so hurtful like being ripped off from business, you could really get upset? But he said to me, John, I can honestly tell you that I am praying for each of those two partners and, my, and their families that God will bless them. How many of you know one of the ways to overcome those deep hurts of resentments of what happened is start to pray? Now, I've done this, and my prayers run like this. God, bless them if you have to. Bless them with a brick. How many of you know, start off just being willing and start practicing a prayer of forgiveness? Because I'm like you, it's not that easy, is it? Not that easy to forgive people who have who've got your job, who got in front of you by deceitful means, who got into the university because they cheated and you just missed out. How many of you reckon you could get very angry about that or you can exercise this wonderful gift called forgiveness? You see, the power of relinquishment is a wonderful power. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 20, 35, is a story of a king who was owed a large sum of money by one of his uh, subjects. And if it was in today's terms, we'd probably talk about millions of dollars. 
And the king said, you can't pay me, sell up, you've got to be sold, your wife's got to be sold, your children's got to be sold. And this man goes to the king and he said, please give me another chance. And the Bible says, the actual word says, the Bible said the king had pity on him, took pity on him and released him from his debt and let him go. Now, I'm fascinated with these words because the word forgive, he forgave him and let him go. He, re, he relinquished his vengeance on this guy and let him go. But that word let him go is so corresponding with forgiveness because the word in the Greek actually means to send forth, to leave, to let go, to send away. Ladies and gentlemen, it's very possible you can reluctantly forgive. That James, I'll forgive him. God told me I'll forgive him, I'll forgive him. How many of you know it's a different thing to forgive and let go? Come on. It's a different thing to send him away with blessing, not wanting any revenge, not wanting any punishment on him. How many of you reckon that's got to be a Christian forgiveness, hasn't it? That's got to be something far deeper than I'm capable of. And I think most of us here are capable of. But this again is the love of God flowing in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, enabling us to release people and to let them go. Forgiveness may not necessarily mean reconciliation. You've got to hear this. How many of you know you can want to reconcile and the person might not want to reconcile? You might want to reconcile, but they're dead. That's a very tough one if they're dead. A couple of um, years ago, I went to a funeral. And uh, when I was the superintendent, I had to exercise a discipline on this pastor and stand him down. And I know he hasn't felt very favourable towards me for a long time. But at this funeral, I went up and I thrust my hand towards him like this and he just dropped his hand and put it down. Now, in my opinion, I have done the utmost I can to reconcile, to get it right. But how many of you know it takes two to reconcile? And they may not be willing to reconcile. Doesn't stop you from doing your part of getting that thing out of your system and forgive them. And I would do it again. If I met him again, I'd try again because I believe reconciliation is a great thing. David reconciled with all of his brothers and all of his family and kept it clean. I know for some of you here today, you think, oh, this is a whole lot of highfalutin idealism. I think this is a whole lot of biblical truth. Come on. Forgiveness sets you free from victimization. Oh, this is a good one, this one. Joseph had every reason to genuinely offend and easily get his revenge on his brothers. I think I would have strung it out a bit longer with his brothers. I think I would have put them, hung them up by their toenails for a few days at least. I would have done something, a couple of lashes, no food. Uh, see how can they f- survive in a den of lions. I think oh, there would have been a few little disappointments there. But how many of you know If you don't forgive and you become a victim, it's a haunting thing. And I was thinking of forgiveness in terms of, it's one thing to forgive someone with road rage. I don't know whether you've been a victim of road rage when they uh, sort of wind down the window and question your parents' marriage before you were born and all that sort of (laughs) stuff. And they give you signals that I'm not going to show you what they are in case you go out and repeat them. But how many of you know they'll give you a whole lot of things? That can be very offensive. Most blokes would just go, oh yeah. But I know ladies that have had a road rage and and it's wrecked them, just absolutely wrecked them. But I would compare that road rage offence to that of if you were in the Ponzi fund of 
a Mr. Madoff in America who went down for $150 billion, took all of his people who had invested their life savings. How many of you reckon that would be a hard one to handle? That would be impossible. How would you like to pay? Dear God, bless. Because he's in jail for 120 years. Oh God, may he stay there for 120 years. How many of you know releasing, releasing breaks the victimization in your life. And I know, I know from my own experience how important that is to just be, get, have that sense of not allowing that thing to dominate your life. You see, victimhood, listen, victimhood is I'm locked into my past. It's not my fault. They did it to me. My parents rejected me. My uncle sexually abused me. My boss unfairly sacked me. My business college colleague ripped me off. The pastor abused my trust. The doctor made a mistake in his diagnosis. How would you like that one? Uh, the accountant gave me bad advice and it's cost me dearly. The government, how many of you know there's a good one to blame? They did it to me. Now, every one of us has the potential to keep on saying, I'm a victim, it's poor me, and I really don't want to... Um, I don't want to downplay this, but how many of you know, once you start saying, I'm a victim, you're in trouble? Come on, yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer is a brilliant actress, very pretty lady. She played in a movie called Dangerous Minds. Am I allowed to talk about movies here? <laughs> she's, she's an ex-Navy SEAL. And she's taken over this um, college. She's teaching in this college to these kids from the Bronx. These kids have got chips on their shoulder bigger than the homes they live in. These kids are in fighting. They're in drugs. They're violent people. And they're really angry. And I'll just quote the words exactly. She looks over this group of kids and she says these words to them. There are no victims in this classroom, only choice makers. Now, I checked this up, and the screenplay writer was a Donald Bass, carefully crafted that particular sentence. Although it's over a, only a line in a movie, it's absolute biblical truth. You see, you choose to be a victim, or you choose not to be a victim. Yeah. You choose to refuse what has happened in the past, and all of those I've mentioned would not be your fault. But how many of you know if you hide about the victim, if you come under the victim, it'll cover your life and prevent you being the person that God has wanted you to be? I am of the opinion and strong opinion that we have a lot of people that do get some sort of weird sense of, of um, approval by feeling they're victims. Please, friends, and I'm trying to be as sensitive as I can. Please, if you have this thing you're hanging on to and you feel a victim, would you give it to Jesus this morning? Would you hand it over to him and say, Lord, that was a horrible thing that person did to me, but I am forgiving them and I'm breaking out of this horrible thing called victimization. <clears throat> 27 years after being in jail in Robben Island, Nelson Mandela had to make a choice when he came out, whether he'd take political revenge on all those who had caused him trouble or whether he'd take a different direction. This was his quote. Don't concentrate on revenge. Concentrate on building a better future. 
When you've been in jails for 27 years and treated like he would, how many of you reckon you'd have enough anger in there to blow up a, a submarine that had just been incredible anger? And he also went on to say, if there are dreams about beautiful South Africa, there are also roads that lead to those dreams. Two of these roads could be called goodness and forgiveness. You see, Joseph had every right to ex exercise vengeance, but he chose rather to forgive. There was a brawl in Brisbane some time ago and the police were called out and this dad and his grown-up brothers, I'm sorry, his grown-up sons were fighting. One of the policemen grabbed one of the boys to restrain him. His other brother came running at this policeman, grabbed him, knocked him to the ground, bashed his head on the ground and he, he can no longer function in his role as a policeman. There was a, a young girl at Redcliffe waiting in the bus stop and the police were chasing a car and the police got out of control, hit this young girl and it was a tragedy because the girl died. And the mother said this when she was interviewed, I am not blaming the police, they had a job to do and blaming them won't bring my daughter back. How many of you know, breaking the victim cycle, Come on. just breaking that victim cycle. Most of the people, most of powerful demonstrations of forgiveness was taken as far as I'm concerned, in December last year, you may have seen the photo of the, of the pastor who's hugging the guy who ran into his son at the Christmas tree and killed him. Young Josiah Sisson, with nine years of old, looking at this Christmas tree, this drunk driver comes along and kills his son. Carl Sisson, the father, is shown in the Courier-Mail embracing this guy and offering him forgiveness. Ladies and gentlemen, I've got to tell you, that guy's my hero. That, I, I don't know whether I may be able to do that one day, but I don't think I could do it within the short period of time it's there. But how many of you know, that's the supernatural gracing of God on. coming on that pastor, enable, enabling him to do what he had to do. I'm going to stop now. I know it's a shame. How many of you have heard the name Dr. Phil? Yeah. He says this, he writes, he says, you have to forgive people, not because they deserve it, but because you deserve to be free from them. Yes. Have you got the point? Victimization keeps you in bondage and forgiving them sets you free. You can't undo the past. You must not live in regrets of the past, but you can face up to it. You can be honest and tell the truth about it and you can seek forgiveness of others when appropriate and forgive yourself and you can leave the rest of your life with your head lifted up and look to a future blessed of God. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you today. I'm sorry that I can't finish all of this brilliant message. <laughs> I felt really exercised that I should preach it. I mean, it's, it's a thing that we need today. Come on. And I'm not just here to sell books. God knows my heart on that. I'm not here to sell books. I'm here to say, I want you to be as free in God. As, you know, we talk about I'm free, I'm free. How many of you know hurts and offenses? There's areas of your life that get locked up. And I'm encouraging you this morning to be a people that go, God, this is tough, but I'm willing. Come on. God, I want your grace to flow through me That's to forgive. Strong and be the person that you want me to be.
to be. How many of you reckon you can't miss tonight? You cannot miss tonight. There's nothing on telly. I had checked on yesterday. There's nothing on telly in this channel up here. Anyway, I would encourage you to come along. Can I pray for you? Heads are bowed because we're going to pray. Is there any person here or persons that you've never accepted the forgiveness of God in your own life, you know? The only way we get connected to God is by asking him to forgive us of what we've done wrong and to come in our life and make us new. We call it repenting and following God. If you've never asked God to forgive you, I'm telling you, he can take off the greatest burden in your life. And all you need to do is start off by saying, oh God, I want to know you and I want to relate to you. Please forgive me and come into my heart. If there's anybody here who never has done that and you'd like me to pray for you, just slip your hand up where you are and I'll pray that God will give you a sense of forgiveness and enable you to go on with life in a real way. God bless you, love. Thank you. Anybody else? Would you please pray for me? I need that. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? Just lift your hand up. I'd love to pray with you. It's a sacred moment, but God give you the ability to give your heart and life over to him. Father, I thank you for these two people, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you come and do your wonderful work of restoration in their life. In Jesus' name. I want to just pray a big prayer over everybody, okay? And then, Pastor, with your permission, I will hang around the front. I'll stick around here. I'll pray for the sick. Uh, this is uh, not a healing evangelist, but I'm a believer. And the Bible says, they that believe shall lay hands on the sick. I'll pray for the sick. If you've got anything else you'd like to pray about in the ministry, I'm sure we have a team. If there's a number of you, we'll have a team that are able to pray for you. Father God, I pray over this beautiful group of people, these godly people, these people who are hungering for more of you. And I'm asking that this morning, the spirit of forgiveness will just flow upon our hearts and our lives, even as you, O oh God, forgave us, willingly forgave us, even as you, Jesus, on that cross, willingly forgave all those that have done such atrocities to you. We pray the same Spirit of Christ will be upon our hearts to help us forgive all who may have offended us. I'm praying that in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.